7. Revelation chapter 7. I started this one time before and I never got never got over it. Never got it out. I'm gonna try it again. <clears throat> Revelation chapter seven. And I'm gonna read verse nine. And after this I beheld, and lo, a great multitude, which no man could number, of all nations and kindreds and people and tongues, stood before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed with white robes and palms in their hands, and cried with a loud voice, saying, Salvation to our God, which sitteth upon the throne and unto the Lamb. And all the angels stood round about the throne and about the elders and the four beasts and fell before the throne on their faces and worshiped God, saying, Amen, blessing and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving and honor and power and might be unto our God forever and ever. Amen. And one of the elders answered and saying unto me, What are these which are arrayed in white robes? And whence came they? Where did they come from? And I said unto him, Sir, thou knowest. And he said to me, These are they which came out of great tribulation and have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. Therefore are they before the throne of God and serve him day and night in his temple. And he that sitteth on the throne and shall dwell among them. They shall hunger no more, neither thirst any more, neither shall the sun light on them, nor any heat. For the Lamb which is in the midst of the throne shall feed them, and shall lead them unto living fountains of waters, and God shall wipe away all tears from their eyes. Amen. May the Lord bless his reading of that part of Revelation 7. Now we've been told by some that the book of Revelation is nothing but symbolisms. And you can't understand it if they don't tell you what it means. There's lots of those folks out there. But you ought not to listen to them. No. Chapter 1, he tells us, Blessed are they that read and keep the things of this book. So it is a book that we ought to read. And that we can rejoice in, be happy in by reading it. And know what to, how to serve the Lord. Well, here we have a scene in heaven. And that's what we see, verse 9. You see, John, the apostle, the revelator we call him, he's on the island of Patmos. He's been banished to that island. He's probably a 95-year-old man. He's been, been through the ringer, been banished to that island by himself. Uh, I'd hate to think of being that old and having to be fending for yourself, and that's what he was doing. Anyway, he said it was because... Of the word of God and the testimony of Jesus Christ. Amen. Now it says the word of God. 
Y'all understand, he's talking about from Genesis to Revelation. Now, of course, he didn't have the King James translation. He didn't need the King James translation. He couldn't have used the King James translation. Neither could anybody else have used the King James translation because there wasn't an English language then. That's how long ago this has been. But it was in Greek that is recorded in the Word of God. And we do have the English translation of the Greek Word of God. And so we do know what happened on that island, at least in this context. Now, so he's seeing, John is seeing what's going on in heaven at this time. And he looks around. He just saw 144,000 Jews, not Jehovah's false witnesses, but 144,000, 12,000 of each of the 12 tribes of Israel. He saw them sealed in their foreheads because they're getting ready to go through some rough time. That'd be the time of the pouring out of the wrath of God on this earth, which is we're getting ready for all this now. But now this bunch that he looks around, there's a great multitude that he can't number them. Matter of fact, said no man can number them. Now I know they think we've got computers and all that kind of stuff. But you know they can't do all that number that they think they can. They don't even know what to number. So anyway, there's a whole slew of people around in heaven. And you can tell they just got there. And so, John is asked by one of the elders, we encountered them back in chapter 4, one of these created beings that are around the throne of God, and he asked John, what are these which are arrayed in white robes, and whence, or where did they come from? Now this is pretty good information here, pretty good testimonial and all that, people, I don't know what's going to happen. Well, read the book. And you might have a clue as what's going to happen. This is what's, at this point in time, is what's happening in heaven. And so he sees all this multitude. And John has enough presence of mind to say, I don't know. And you know, we all need to have that much presence of mind on a whole lot of things to say, I don't know. But we know who does know. All right, so he says, uh, Sir, thou knowest, verse 14. And he said to me, uh, These are they which came out of great tribulation. Now, there's some people teaching that God's people are not going to see any tribulation. Now, that's not true from here, is it? Matter of fact, there's a great multitude that no man can number that come out of, from every tribe under the sun that are going to come out of great tribulation. Hmm. And they've washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. Uh, therefore, they before the throne of God and serve him day and night in his temple. That's what's going on then. 
after they have come out of great tribulation. So whatever any of them say, there's a multitude of people, of diverse people from all over the earth that are going to experience great tribulation, which is, which is different, differentiated from normal tribulation that all of God's saints have experienced. And it says, verse 16, they shall hunger no more. Well, when you see what's going to happen during the great tribulation, there's going to be shortage of food. There's going to be famine. And it looks like some of God's people are going to get hungry. Well, I'm going to lay up. You can't lay up for no three and a half years. You can't lay up much food up. You haven't got that much storage space. And neither thirst anymore. Well, you can lay up a case or two of bottled water. And that'll last you for a while. You can sip on it and spread it out for a while. But these people thirsted. Neither shall the sun light on them nor any heat. They obviously got burned up for some of these plagues. For the Lamb which is in the midst of the throne shall feed them at this time. And shall lead them unto living fountains of waters. And a lot of old timers used to get furious over this. No, there ain't no tears in heaven. Well, these were. These, there's multitudes in heaven, aren't they? It says God shall, he hadn't done it yet, shall wipe away all tears from their eyes. How come they've been crying? Because they're in much agony going through the great tribulation. All right. Now that really, I just had to explain all that. But I want to talk to you about what they said in verse 10. This is what they're saying. So wonder what they're doing in heaven. Well, you can see some of this in chapter 4, which is probably what's going on right now. But this is this going on, and this is what's going to go on. Here we go. And cried with a loud voice. That's this great multitude of all nations and kindreds. They said, salvation to our God, which sitteth upon the throne and unto the Lamb. Hold your place there and look back at 19, chapter 19. Now a lot of a lot of stuff has already passed when we get to chapter 19. But he says, and after these things, I heard a great voice of much people in heaven saying, Hallelujah, salvation and glory and honor and power unto the Lord our God. Amen. That's what that great multitude is singing. They're doing it back here in verse 10. Look at verse chapter 1 of Revelation. Verse 5, the introduction to this book. And from Jesus Christ, who is the faithful witness. And that's, that's what this whole book is about. It's not a hiding. It is a revealing. Amen. It is the revelation of Jesus Christ 
It is not the revelation of St. John the Divine, whoever that is. Now that's what the Episcopalians put in there. But it, all you got to do is read the first phrase of the first verse of the first chapter of the book of Revelation. It says the revelation of Jesus Christ. The revealing of Jesus Christ. It's not a mystery book. It's not a hidden book. It's the revealing of Jesus Christ. And you see Jesus Christ revealed in this first chapter. And it ain't no picture with long, girly-looking hair. It ain't blonde, red, blue-eyed. Jesus Christ was a Jew out of the tribe of Judah, the lion, out of the tribe of Judah. He was a Jew. He wasn't blonde-headed and blue-eyed. And you know there's been people that taught that. That Jesus was not born of a virgin. One used to go to the Southern Baptist Seminary in Louisville and teach it. Nels Ferrer was his name. I'm sure he's dead now. But you can find him. You look him up on the internet and find out what he taught. He said that Jesus was the bastard child of a German soldier. And that's why you got pictures somewhere of Jesus having blonde hair and blue eyes. Because they say that Mary got with a German mercenary soldier in the Roman army in Jerusalem and got knocked up by her by him. And that's why you see those pictures because people believe that garbage. They spread that heresy and they believe that garbage. Jesus looked like an average Jew. He did not have long hair. He did have a beard. And he was a working man. He was a carpenter. But this is from Jesus Christ, who is the second person of the triune Godhead. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. They're talking about getting the Holy Ghost. No, the Holy Spirit, there's only one. Else you better try the spirits of what sort they are. But he says, who is the faithful witness? Yes, he is the prophet without equal. And the first begotten of the dead. He is the great High priest of God. And the prince of the kings of the earth. He's king of kings and lord of lords. You just had his threefold office presented there. He's prophet, priest, and king. One God. Manifest in three persons. But now look, look what John says here. And this is what all the rest of them saying. Unto him that loved us and washed us from our sins in his own blood. Chapter 7, verse 10. Salvation to our God which sitteth upon the throne and unto the Lamb. Salvation, power, glory, and honor unto him. That's what they're singing to him. And that's what we need to be singing all the time right here. Well. Salvation. I don't know if you've talked to many people lately or not, but 
people talk about when you say, are you saved? Well, they generally think you're talking about hooping and hollering, rolling down an aisle. That's what, the th- that's what they think. Yeah, I ain't never done that. Some of them, I've seen them hopping up and down and barking like dogs and doing everything you can possibly think of. And they think that's all salvation. No, that's not salvation. We're going to see what salvation Salvation means to save. The word sozo in the Greek, and from that we get soteriology. The study of salvation. And exactly what salvation is, and exactly what does salvation save us from. You see, most people in this day and world and day, day and time, they don't have the faintest idea of what they need to be saved from because they think everything they do is all right. They've been told by the world and by many preachers that, that I'm all right, you're all right, we're all all right, and God loves everybody, and it'll all be all right in the end. And you can decide what you want to do. There's nothing wrong with anything. That's where this world is and our kids are. And then you got other preachers saying, oh, get rid of that law. Get rid of the law. Oh, you can't. <laughs> I know they try, but they can't. Anyway. What does salvation save you from? Well, first off, it saves you from the guilt and condemnation of sin. Let me explain that a little bit. Guilt means you're guilty. When when, uh, Cain murdered his brother Abel way back, just out of the Garden of Eden, He tried to say, am I my brother's keeper? And God told him, he said, sin lies at your door. You know what he meant? Guilty. Guilt. Now, when Jesus Christ saves a sinner, he saves him from his guiltiness. I believe I heard somebody praying or reading a while ago how that he who knew no sin became sin for us. The Bible says that when Jesus Christ stood before Pilate as they had him on trial and it was a capital punishment trial He said, Jesus was not guilty, and he wasn't. In his flesh, he was not guilty. But he stood before Pilate, and he said, he answered to not a word. Now, if I'm standing before a judge, and that judge, I know, has got the power to pronounce a death sentence on me, and I know I'm innocent. I'm going to scream my head off. Wouldn't you? Jesus didn't say a word. 
Well, reckon why he didn't say a word. Because in reality, he didn't have a word to say. Another place Paul talked about that all the world become silent. Why? Because they're guilty. And when you're guilty, you don't have anything to answer but guilty. Well, Jesus Christ had become guilty for all of the sins of all of his people. That's why we call his name Jesus, because he shall save his people from their sins. Didn't say save everybody in the world. And see, I hear preachers saying, oh, he died for the sins of mankind. You better qualify that. Do you think he died for all the sins of all the people that are burning in hell? Well, if, if he did, how come they're in hell? He died for all of the sins of all of his people. You say, how can I become one of his people? I can't answer that. I can tell you this. What you need to do is repent and believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. Amen. So in salvation, he saves us from the guilt of our sin. Now, if you listen to any of these, uh, maybe you do, maybe you don't, these religions talking, many of them, even some Baptists talk about Original sin, original sin, original sin. And that's why some say, oh, well, uh, Jesus died for original sin. No, Jesus died for all of the sins of all of his people. So original sin. Well, let's see here. Original sin. Let's see. The original sin was from Satan. He sinned against God, rebelled against God. Now, don't ask me what. What year did he do that? I know what the Bible says. And then as far as human beings are concerned, Eve was deceived in the transgression. She sinned, and Adam, with his eyes wide open, sinned. Against the law of God. God said don't. He did. God said don't. He said I do. Now. Do you and I have to pay for Adam's sin. Or for the devil's sin. And I'm going to tell you. Absolutely not. So when when the. You know. Dudes with the collars turned around backwards, bunch of junk on their head, and on you know, when they tell you about original sin, they really don't know what they're talking about. And whatever they're doing doesn't get rid of any sin. Here's what we must think about I am a sinner by nature, I got that from Adam. But I'm also a sinner because I have chosen sin repeatedly. I'm also a sinner by practice because I have practiced sin. 
So I'm a sinner by nature, by choice, and by practice. That's what you need. Don't worry about original sin. But Jesus died for all the sins of all of his people. Paid for all of them. All right, so the guilt and the condemnation of our sin. That's what he saves us from. The condemnation. That's the judgment. Well, you mean I'll never be judged for my sins if I'm saved. And that's exactly what I mean. Now there is a sense which every child of God will stand before the judgment seat of Christ with reference to our lives after we've been saved as to how we've served the Lord, not to determine whether we go to heaven or hell, but to determine the amount of rewards we get. First Corinthians talks about that, chapter 3, very, very plain. But the guilt... And the condemnation, the judgment of my sin. Now think about this. When we take the Lord's Supper, we take the unleavened bread, and we take the fruit of the vine, that's what the Bible says, and we take the bread, the unleavened bread, the sinless representative, the sinless bread, because Christ did no sin, Yet he took upon himself all of our sins. And so when we crush up between our teeth, we are to be memorializing, remembering exactly what he did to save us from our sins and from our guilt and from our condemnation. He was judged for me. Oh, what manner of love the Father hath bestowed upon us that we should be called the children of God, <laughs> man alive. And then we drink that cup, the fruit of the vine, that cup of blessing, not the cup of the wrath of God. That's what Jesus drank in our behalf. And so that's why we don't use fermented wine. We use the pure fruit of the vine. Now somebody wants to argue about that, they can, but I've got the biblical proof of it. Anyway, secondly, what's he save us from? The wrath of God. Look quickly at Romans 1. I perceive that I'm not going to get through this again. Romans chapter 1. And Paul says, verse 16, For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, are we? Would you dare stand before people, friends, neighbors, co-workers, and declare the gospel of Jesus Christ to them? Paul said he's not ashamed. We ought not to be ashamed of the gospel either. For it is the power of God unto salvation. The gospel itself is not your salvation. It is unto your salvation. To everyone that believeth, to the Jew first, and also to the Greek. And those are the only two quote-unquote races there are in the whole world. And when the Bible says the world, 
He loved the world. He's talking about the Jewish world and the Greek world. That's all the people in the world, kinds of people, not every individual. For therein is the righteousness of God revealed from faith to faith, as it is written, the just shall live by faith. How is that revealed in the gospel? The gospel, which is how that Christ died for our sins according to the scripture and was buried and rose again the third day according to the scripture. How is that a declaration of the righteousness of God? It is because God could not forgive us apart from the work of redemption of Jesus Christ. His shed blood. Now. Verse 18, for the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who hold the truth and unrighteousness. And so the wrath of God, as well as the righteousness of God, have already been revealed. So well, isn't the wrath of God going to fall? Yeah, but you don't have to wait for that. We've got God's record here. Verbally. Every word is given by inspiration of God. And we know exactly what it. I don't care where, whether Bill Nye says he doesn't see any evidence of the flood. The Bible talks about him. He's one who is willingly ignorant or stupid on purpose. They refuse to see the evidence that is worldwide, even up on the top of Mount Everest. The tallest mountain, maybe K-12 is a little taller, I don't know. But Mount Everest is about five and a half miles tall. And what are we doing with <coughs> clams on top of Mount Everest? They dwell at the bottom of the ocean. Anyway, uh, the wrath of God is revealed. Go back through the history book. Oh, incidentally, the Bible is the history book. Of the world. Nobody. Has. The reliable. History. That we have. Nobody. And especially the Egyptologists. All they've got is a bunch of heathenism. We've got the. Profound. Word of God. Inspired. Word of God. And he says. That in the Garden of Eden, he revealed his wrath. How did he reveal his wrath? There's Adam and Eve. God made them without sin. Put them under law. Every tree you got, except the one in the middle of the garden. And the day you eat, you're going to die. And guess what? They ate and they died. Now, they didn't die physically. But they did die spiritually. Let me tell you how I know that. Because God, he didn't ask them to leave. He drove them out of the Garden of Eden. And he set flaming cherubims, flaming swords, to guard the way to the tree of life, lest they eat and live. God cast Adam and Eve out of the Garden of Eden. They left paradise. Uh, John Milton wrote that great poem, Paradise Lost, and he was pretty well on too. Look what they had, and they gave it up. Before Adam and Eve sinned, there wasn't even thorns on rose bushes. 
And there wasn't a world before Adam and Eve. Because Genesis 1-1 says in the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth and everything therein. And he made the stars also. Anyway. Because that which may be known of God is manifest in them. For God has showed it unto them. In other words, interior, we've got the witness outside with what God has made. We've got the witness inside and we know that God is. For the invisible things of him, the word from can also be sense. The creation of the world. Now you've got some colleges around here claiming to be Christian colleges who teach that God brought it all about with evolution. Check them out. They claim to be Christian. And they claim that God only started in process the system of evolution. That's not what the Bible says. He says, he, bara, created from nothing, Adam and Eve. And how many times through, uh, Randy, you can't tell, we've been going through the Bible verse for verse. You can't even tell me how many times we encounter creation verses. Can you tell me? I don't know how many it would be. Matter of fact, you could probably list the scriptures that don't mention it. More than those that do mention it. The, the creation of God. And this whole cotton picking world. Has turned. And trying to deny God his creation. By their stupidity. I don't believe a, a giraffe. Got that 17 foot tall neck by stretching. That's what they say. Anyway, the things which are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. I've got a thing on my Facebook. If you ever get on there and flip down, it's a great big picture. Of outer space. Colored picture. And it's got a lot of little bitty dots there. But it's got one dot. That leads out. And it's got a round circle. You can see what's in that dot. And you read the read the description there. These not from creation scientists. These are from others. And they say. In that little dot. Is our whole solar system. Our galaxy. Our Milky Way. But they say, if you would travel, I think you said 100,000 kilometers a second. A kilometer is about a half a mile. A little, somewhere's about that. Anybody know? I think, I think it's about a half a mile. Point six. Point, okay. About a half. I can figure a half. I can't point six. But anyway, about a half a mile. <clears throat> so, that would be about 50,000 miles a a second. Now that's getting on with it, ain't it? 
But it said that you could do that round the clock, 24-7, for 500,000 years, and you could never get outside that dot. <laughs> and they act like they've got this thing under control. That's what they said. I didn't say it. But that's what they said. So does that show you his eternal power? <laughs> okay, yes, it does. Yes, it does. And boy, do they hate it. Oh, they hate it. But this is what God says about them. They are without excuse. Listen, people ought to know salvation is what you need. Salvation is what everybody needs. I don't think they've all got it. A few have salvation, but not everybody. The wrath of God, well, John said it abides on the head of every lost person. Amen. They want to say, oh, God just loves everybody. It's all going to be okay. But they're lying to you. They said, well, John 3.16, yeah, John 3.36. There you go. There you go. Read the whole word of God. John 3.36 says the wrath of God abides. That means remains on their head. Don't tell me somebody's lost got the love of God on their head. They do not. They've got the wrath of God. You get saved. He gets saved from the wrath of God. Amen. Why? Because Jesus Christ has taken it all. Just like, just like, that, uh, uh, like that cup of wine. On the morning and evening burnt offering, uh, the, uh, the fourth part of a hen of wine, and the high priest pours it out. And Psalm 75 says, even the, the dregs, the bitters out of it. And Jesus said, I've got a cup to drink of that you know not of. Don't tell me we can drink. I don't want to drink that cup, that cup of God's wrath. That's what he drank. We drink a cup of blessing. That's his fruit of the vine. Peace and joy. Why? Because he drank of the wrath of God. And that's what, he, what salvation saves you from. Delivers us from eternal hell. People don't like to even talk about it. They all love to talk about heaven. They all love to talk about their loved ones becoming angels. But ain't nobody ever become makes this transition from a human being to an angel. No. Everybody likes to talk about heaven. Everybody dies, goes to heaven. Yeah. But I got news for you. That ain't so. Read Luke 16. You find the rich man and Lazarus. Lazarus is an old beggar. It said he died and the angels carried him into Abraham. He didn't become an angel. The angels carried him into Abraham's bosom. Amen. But the rich man died also. And in hell he lift up his eyes being in torment. Now the Jehovah's false witnesses say that's a parable. Well, if it is, it's a historical parable. And it actually occurred. Anyway, the curse of the law. Now let me tell you. Right up here we got the law, the Ten Commandments. Used, kids used to learn them. Even in school they learned them. Some Bible schools still teach it. Some Sunday schools still teach them. But many of them have just thrown it away. 
The law says you can't put the Ten Commandments out. You know, some places. Let them try to take that one down. Those are God's absolute perfect standards of righteousness for all humanity from all ages. And we talk about the curse of the law. What is the curse of the law? That the law says the soul that sinneth, it shall die. Well, sin is the transgression of the law. If you don't see the law, if you don't understand the law, you don't know what sin is. Had old deacon one time, oh, I'll tell you, the church I was entering pastor of, I think that it'll come down to this, that the greatest sin a man can commit is against his fellow man. You're out of your gourd. You're out of your gourd. Sin is first and foremost against God Almighty. And if it's just against man, it ain't going to mount the hill of beans. Because he can't do a thing to you. After you leave this life, he can't touch you. But let me tell you what. There is one lawgiver who's able to save and to destroy. And his name is God Almighty. Anyway, the curse of the law. Here's the curse of it. It is weak through the flesh. You, me, no human being has ever kept the law except one, the last Adam, Jesus Christ. And he did no sin. He earned perfect righteousness for all of his people. Now, you got to have perfect righteousness to go to heaven. You also got to have redemption. But you've got to have perfect righteousness too. Where are you going to get it? Somebody, oh, well, you've got to keep the law. Well, you idiot, you already broke it. If you're going to keep it, you've got to start, I guess, before you're born. I don't know. And it's too late. We sang that song uh, uh, this morning, The Word of Life. Uh, whatever it was, it talks about a rebel sinner. The last verse, rebel sinner. Well, that's what the Camelites talk about, rebel sinners. Only they don't mean us all. They just mean some of y'all. <laughs> that's what they mean. Rebel sinners. Hey, but you know what? That's what we all are, rebel sinners. Rebelled against the God who created us. That's what sin is. It's rebellion against God. Anyway, say, well, I'll run from the law. Really? Where are you going to run to? The law will find you wherever you go. It sure will. But he was made a curse for us. He was made a curse in the law for us. He'll save you from your evil conscience. He said, well, you let your conscience be your guide. No, it's evil. Now, you can sear it with a hot iron. You can make it worse. But it's not a, it's not a, a, a reliable guide. So he'll save you from an evil conscience. Uh, well, Hebrews 3 talks about an evil conscience of unbelief. Well, evil heart. 
said, well, give your heart to Jesus. You don't want it. <laughs> it has no value. It's got no trade-in value. Why would you say, give your heart to Jesus? I am all give your heart to Jesus. He doesn't want it. It has no trade value. He says he put a new heart. That's regeneration. New creature. He'll save you from the fear of death. A lot of people afraid to die. I don't want to die. But I always say I'm not worried about where I'm going. I know where I'm going because I know the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. And I believe he's able to keep what he's committed to me. Amen. I sometimes wonder how I get there. There must be millions of ways to die. You could probably sit here and call up examples of people dying every which way from Sunday. Many ways to die. But one thing is for sure. We're all going to go there. Yes. It may be die of a young age. Somebody kills you. Car wreck. Gunshot. Disease. Uh, they tell us now that Jimmy Carter is pretty much on a death watch. But now he's 98. Say, well, why, what's he going to die of? <laughs> 98. That's what he's going to die of. Three score and ten, and if by the reason of strength it be four score, that's what the Bible said 3,500 years ago. I took, a, I took a survey the other day of obituaries, and you know what the average age was of the deaths? 66.5 years. And they say, boy, how we've really stretched it out. It lengthened. Well, I don't think so. Who said it's worldwide? David said, yeah, that's worldwide, and worldwide it ain't even that good. Well, there's all kinds of things that enter into that. Wars and, and all that, revolutions and all kinds of stuff like that. Plagues. Uh, uh, starvation. All kinds of things. People die in a lot of different ways. But one thing's for sure. They all die. I've been in several countries. And you know what? I've seen in every one of them. Graveyards. Doesn't matter where you go. Unless they cremate them all, which that's what they're starting to do here. Uh, but if they bury them, you can find a graveyard wherever you go. You know why? Because people die. Babies die. Teenagers die. Young people die. Adults and old people die. We all, it's appointed unto man once to die and after this is judgment. But anyway, see, I didn't do it. I didn't get here. There's lots of things that salvation saves you from. But these are some of the most important that I've talked to you about today. If you're here today.